Well, amen. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight. And to start with, let's turn right on over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And uh, we'll just use this as a springboard. Again, we're in a series, and it's our Back to God series. And uh, so we've been addressing getting back to God. We said we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to prayer. We need to get back to soul winning. And of course, tonight, we're kind of concluding a a message that we started a couple of weeks back, actually, getting back to loving. Back to loving. And so let's go ahead and begin by reading Matthew chapter 22. We'll begin, uh, we'll look at verse 37, read right through verse 40. And then we'll uh, kind of recap a little bit and then try to finish out this uh, particular lesson or message. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so over the course of the last few weeks, as we've been dealing with this issue of getting back to loving, we noted, first of all, what love is not. And we said, love is not natural. It's not natural. And again, uh, we, we said that because we note a number of places where God tells us we're to love. For instance, we said husbands are to love their wives. We also note that the older women are to teach the younger uh, uh, women how to love their husbands and their children. So if it's natural, why does he have to make a commandment to love or to teach love even? And so we recognize the fact that love is not natural. As a matter of fact, we said love is supernatural. And because it's supernatural, we're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. We're going to have to be yielded to the Spirit. We're going to have to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. The first one being love there. If we truly want to love the way God intended. So we said love's not natural. We also noted that love's not perpetual. It's not perpetual. It doesn't continue to grow on its own. It doesn't just happen. It's not like the kind of love that's exhibited in the movies and in our culture today. Love is the kind of love that has to grow. And the Bible's very clear. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, it says, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. Well, we need to grow in our love. It's not perpetual. It's something that has to continue to grow. Now, again, and I understand that with the love of God is never in need of growth, but our, exe- our, our ability to exhibit that love and how we translate that love, practically speaking, has got to change and grow. Not only did we say is it's not perpetual, but it's not conditional. Love's not conditional. Well, I'm glad, I don't know about you, but I'm glad the Lord's love is not conditional. I'm glad God doesn't look at me and base his loving me on how I respond to him. Matter of fact, the Bible says we love him because he first loved us. So, boy, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that love is unconditional. Boy, it doesn't matter how wicked or wretched a person is. It doesn't matter where they've gone in life, how deep they've gone into sin. The fact is, is that there is a God in heaven that loves them. And, boy, I'll tell you what, that's a wonderful truth that you and I can hold on to. And so we talked about that. We said also, who are we to love then? Who are we to love? Well, we said we ought to obviously love the Lord. 
We noted that even in our text tonight, and we see it throughout the scriptures. We said we're to love the lost. Of course, we need to love those that Jesus loved. We said we're to love our loved ones. Well, we're to show love to them. We also said we're to love the local church or the brethren. Well, that's an area that we need some work on. We always need work in that area. We're humans. We're flesh. It's not even easy to love our own loved ones sometimes, let alone these that we, the extended family God's given us. And so we kind of ended there. And tonight I want to pick up and I want to ask this question. How are we to love then? How are we to do that? How are we to love? And again, I understand that probably this is repetitive for some. I'm sure that you've heard a number of messages or have been taught a number of things about love. And I realize that you probably could give me some points on how to love. And that would be good. And I'm hoping and I'm hopeful that that's the case. However, I do think it's important that we're reminded from time to time how to love. It doesn't hurt us. It can only help. And so often they say that that the best means of teaching is repetition, so we'll just keep hearing certain things and hopefully we really grab hold of it, grasp it, and embrace it for our own. And so we'll see what we can learn today. How are we to love? And hopefully this will be a help to you. I know it is always to me. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together tonight. Lord, may the word of God truly speak to our hearts and may it do its work. You said that your word would not return void. And so, Lord, we believe that. And so as it goes forth today, may it do that work that you intended it to do. Matter of fact, Lord, we don't even have to really ask. We know you will. But, Lord, just so you know that we know it's you that does the work, we're just asking. So, Lord, do that miracle. You said we have not because we ask not, so we're asking. Do a work in each heart, in each life. Drive home truths that will ultimately transform us. Make us that person you want us to be, that believer you want us to be, closer to the image of Christ, more like Jesus. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so how are we to love? Well, the Bible says, he says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Well, there's a pretty good way that we're to love. I mean, that's, that lays it out pretty good, doesn't it? I mean, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So again, it's important how we love. I mean, it's not hard to say I love you, is it? It's not difficult. It's a four-letter word, love. It's not that hard. However, it is much different to love than it is to say it. There's a big difference. And in the word of God, he makes it clear. He says, my little children, let us love not in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So the the implication is that we are going to, by nature, love in word and in tongue. That's not going to be hard. That's going to be more natural for us. That's what humanity will come very easily come to, that place where we say, man, I love you, man. I mean, there's commercials like that, you know? Love you, man. I mean, but, but there's no real love. They're not biblical, not scriptural love. And sadly enough, if we be honest with one another, we're guilty of throwing that word around pretty, pretty quickly as well and without much thought. Listen, I love you, brother. 
Oh, by the way, I need a ride to the store tomorrow. You what? I'm sorry, I can't hear that. I got water on my ear. I was in my pool yesterday. I'm sorry, but I'll tell you what, I'll talk to you next week. I mean, if we're not careful, it's easy to say those things, but it's another thing to act upon them. Now, we have a wonderful example of this in the Word of God, don't we? I mean, you think about John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, what an example. We have God in this particular case giving his Son. And interestingly enough, the Son is giving his life. I mean, we see love being demonstrated here. We see it very clearly being exhibited here in those passages, in John 3, 16 even. And in John 15, 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, but a man lay down his life for his friends. But I'll tell you what, God loved us enough to send his son, and the Lord Jesus Christ loved us enough to literally die in our place, to pay for our sin. Now that is love. That's not just in in word or in tongue. That's love in deed and in truth. What a wonderful thing to be loved like that. And may I say that you are loved like that. The next time you question whether you are loved, you need to think about what God did for you and the, what the Lord Jesus Christ did. David said, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will lift me up. The reality and the understanding that you are loved by a God that exists in the heavenlies, yes, but he is real in our lives today. One day we'll literally be in his presence. Well, that love ought to move us and motivate us like it did the Apostle Paul when he said that the love of Christ constraineth us. So God gave, us, gave to us openly. He gave to us sincerely. And his love produced action and so should ours. God intended that we demonstrate love and not simply express it. And I read about a situation during the Revolutionary War. And there was a a man there in um, Ephrata, I believe it's called, Pennsylvania. He was a Baptist pastor and his name was Peter Miller. He enjoyed the friendship of General George Washington. I've recently been watching a series on America and its founding and how it grew and so forth. And boy, I'll tell you what, there was nothing negative so far that I've heard about George Washington. Man, I mean, everything I read about him, what a man, what a leader. He'd never make it in our military today. He's too tough. His expectation's a little too high. I really don't think he would make it. (laughs) I just don't. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm sure he'd be drummed out of the Corps. But he got the job done when it needed done. What we have as a nation today is very much a part of what he did and how he did it. But anyway, he had a friend. And this friend was a Baptist pastor by the name of Peter Miller. On the other hand, in that same town was a man by the name of Michael Whitman. He was an evil man, evil-minded. He did everything in his power to abuse and to oppose the pastor even. It's other places I've read said that he went as far as to not only mock him but to mal- and malign him, but to also mistreat him, to physically abuse him, because he knew this pastor would not fight back. One day, Michael Whitman was involved in treason, and he was arrested and sentenced to death. 
The old preacher, he started out on foot and he walked 70 miles to Philadelphia to plead for this man's life. He was admitted into Washington's presence and at once he begged for the life of this particular traitor, already condemned to death. Washington said, no, no, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. Can't do that. It's a traitor, convicted traitor. The preacher said, my friend, he's the bitterest enemy I have. Washington was taken by that. Couldn't imagine what in the world the man was doing. Are you kidding me? This is not a friend. This is your enemy. He took it under advisement and he ultimately returned and he rendered his verdict and he set the man free. He said, that puts it, the matter in a different light. I will grant the pardon. And he did. And Peter Miller took Michael Whitman and they went back home to Euphrata. Well, I'll tell you what. They were no longer enemies. They were friends now. Matthew 5.44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. We're to love in deed and in truth. Newspaper columnist and minister George Crane, he tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. I don't only want to get rid of him, I want to get even, she said. And I want to get even before I divorce him. I mean, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. Boy, she was upset. Dr. Crane's suggestion, an ingenious plan. He said, you know what? Here's what you need to do. You need to go home and act as if you really love your husband. You tell him how much he means to you. You praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind and considerate and generous as possible. Spare no effort to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. After you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce. That'll really hurt him. (laughs) Her eyes and her smile. She said, beautiful. That's beautiful. Will he ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm. She acted as if For two months. And for two months she showed him love and kindness. Listening and giving and reinforcing and sharing. And when she didn't return, Crane called her. and said, are you ready now to go through with the divorce? She said, divorce? Never. I discovered I really do love him. You know what had happened? Her actions had changed her feelings. Motion resulted in emotion. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 3, it says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. That's a powerful statement. You know, we often talk about the idea and the need. Man, listen, don't do it unless your heart's in it. Don't be a hypocrite. 
The Bible says it's a two-edged sword. Yes, you ought to have the right heart and then do the right thing. But the truth is, if you're not doing the right thing, at least do the right thing. And God then will ultimately give you the right heart. This idea, well, I'm not going to go to church till somehow God puts it on my heart. Till I don't want to be no hypocrite just going because it's the right thing to do. Are you kidding? Do the right thing. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Excuse me, let's see. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. (laughs) He said, don't even bother whether you love him or not, or love her or not. Just act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets, he says. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you'll find yourself disliking him less. There's a man, C.S. Lewis, that understood a biblical principle. See, it's important that we demonstrate our love. Actions always speak louder than what? Absolutely. And may I say that's true not just in a marriage, that's not just true in our homes, it's true in the house of God. Now, I don't believe in having a bunch of phonies running around, a bunch of fake people, I get it. But on the other hand, if you've got a real issue with someone, you should deal with it scripturally to begin with. You go to them personally and you face them and you face the problem. But sometimes it's just a matter of loving people and it's just a matter of not uh, stepping out and doing the right thing and we just need to be right and do right. It's interesting, I love this little story, but in Reader's Digest there was an article and it kind of illustrates this thought. It, it, it was attending, uh, it, this particular fellow said, I was attending a junior stock show. And um, again, I'm reading it as though it's from the digest. He says, I was attending a junior stock show when a grand champion lamb owned by a little girl was being auctioned. As the bids reached $5 per pound, the little girl standing beside the lamb in the arena began to cry. At $10, the tears were streaming down her face and she clasped her arms tightly around the lamb's neck. The higher the bids rose, the more she cried. Finally, a local businessman bought the lamb for more than $1,000 and then announced that he was donating it to the little girl. The crowd applauded and cheered. Woo! What a moment. Months later, I was judging some statewide essays when I came across one from a girl who told about the time her grand champion lamb had been auctioned. Quote, The prices began to get so high during the bidding, she wrote, that I started to cry from happiness. She continued with, The man who bought the lamb for so much more than I ever dreamed I would get returned the lamb to me. And when I got home, Daddy barbecued the lamb. And it was really delicious. Is that great or what? (laughs) I love that. It was really delicious. (laughs) Oh, man. We find and realize we're really to love when, whether we feel like it or not. We're just to love. And loving is a matter of obedience and not feeling. 
Did you you get that? I mean, think about it. It, It's kind of like forgiveness. You don't have to feel it. You just have to do it. I mean, unfortunately today, we're all about feelings, right? But biblical love's not about feelings. It's about action. And so the reality is, is that we're to love because we're commanded to love. And so today, if you fail to love someone, maybe a brother or sister in Christ, maybe a, even a wife or a husband or possibly a family member or a friend, let me tell you something. You're commanded to do so. And the reality is today is that you are just simply disobedient to God. We don't like to look at it that way. Because I have every reason to not love them. You don't know what they said to me. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't understand, preacher. I don't have to. I just know what God said. And unfortunately, I'm in the same boat you are. Trust me. No. (laughs) You didn't get that one. See, some of you are already sleeping here. So, what kind of actions will demonstrate your love for God? Demonstrate your, your love for your loved ones and for those in the family of God. Well, turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's take a look at that passage real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is often referred to, this chapter I should say, is the love chapter of the Bible. Many people recognize it that way. It talks about charity and they say, well, charity is love. And, and there's, there's some truth to that, no doubt about that. And so we, we look at this chapter. If you want to have love described, if you want to see how it responds and how love should act, well, this is a good chapter to go to. It gives us some insight. And so consider even verse 1. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So you can be a smooth talker. You can have a golden tongue, but you're only full of hot air without love. Well, I'll tell you, there are people that can really let her fly. But boy, that love is another thing altogether. Verse 2 goes on to say this. It says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains. It's kind of hard to imagine someone to have that much faith but not have any love, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Is this rhetorical? Is this what's going on here? But either way, the fact is, is that it's still the word of God. It's true. So he simply says, so that I could even remove mountains and have not charity. I am, what's he say? Not, what, he's, he's what? Did you, wait, I want this side to say it. He's what? He's nothing. You know, you know isn't it funny how we are? We all want everybody to think we're somebody. Well, you're somebody. You're so unique. You're so special. You're this, you're that. And we go, praise God. When you know what? I don't care what people say. It doesn't matter who says it. If you don't have love in your heart and life toward others and and you're not obedient in this area of love, the Apostle Paul says, you are nothing, my friend. You're nothing. You're big zero. In God's eyes. Now again, I know he loves you. Don't misunderstand me. He's going to love you anyway. But the fact is, is that 
you want to measure up, you want to be something, you want to truly attain to some level of spirituality and ultimately some preeminence or some place in, in even eternity, let me tell you, you better start loving. Otherwise, it's not going to add up. Verse 3 continues, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, this is amazing to me, this one, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So you can, do, you can do all the right things, but not love. And you say, but you just said that if you don't love, you ought to act like you love. Yeah, why? So that ultimately you what? Love. <laughs> you know, because if you do the right things without the right motivation, you still got a problem on your hands. See, I'm convinced that at the judgment seat of Christ, that our motivation is a major aspect. I don't think you just do the right things and get rewarded. I think you do need to have the right attitude, the right heart in it. It's the sort of things. It's the sort, too. Now, again, do the right things, and I believe you'll get the right heart. I do believe biblically, scripturally, there's, it's there. But ultimately, we need to have the right heart with the right actions, the right attitude and actions combined. So we see love now, verse 4. Look as we read through verse 8. Notice how it's described here and how it responds. He's talking about love, and he says... Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. And that's a lot. That's a mouthful, isn't it? We could go through and we could define some of that. You know, suffereth long, puts up with and is patient. Are you, are, you, are you quick to put up with people at times? Are you patient with people? Even those you want to choke? And let's be honest, people can get on your nerves, right? Well, I love everybody. You do? Okay. Are you suffering long? <laughs> says, kind and envieth not. I mean, you're content with what you have. You're not envying others. You're not, you're not looking for what someone else already has. You're not striving to uh, obtain to a level that you feel they have. You're trying not to measure up and want to have the kind of accolade that maybe they do. You're just downright envious of their position and their place in life. And somehow you feel you've been left out. That's not very much of a loving attitude. Vaunteth not itself. It's not conceited or boastful. It's meek and it's quiet. It's not puffed up. There's no pride in that real love. It's humble. Doth, doth not behave itself unseemly. It's sober and controlled. Serious-minded. Seeketh not her own. Not easily provoked. Not easily provoked. <laughs> not easily provoked. Wow. We're talking about biblical love. We're not talking about the love that we've been trained or taught to have in this world. We're talking about God's love. That's the kind of love we ought to have. Ultimately, it ends, endureth all things. It's a lasting love. It's a lasting love. So, practically speaking then, we we see biblically how love responds. We, We note some truths about love, but how's that demonstrated in our lives practically? Well, first of all, by being concerned for people. 
and concern for others. Turn to 1 Peter 5, 7. Just, we'll look at just a couple verses as we close this down. But I'm going to give you just four simple thoughts by, by being concerned. In 1 Peter 5, 7, uh, the passage is short. It's simple. Very to the point. The writer says, casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Now, who do you think that's talking about? It's talking about the Lord. I mean, it's talking about God casting our cares on him. I mean, why, we, we, we're to cast our cares on him? Why would we do that? The Bible says because he cares for us. You know, it talks about, you know, be careful for nothing. Well, how are we to be careful for nothing? If we got to be concerned about things, we got to make sure it all works out the right way. We got to worry about how it's going to end in the long run. He says, No, that's not your problem. You need to cast your cares upon Him because He careth for you. Wow. So I guess if He, being our example, is one that can not only be there for burdens to be cast upon because He cares so much, then I guess we ought to be there for others to cast burdens upon. Because we care so much. We ought to be concerned for people. I mean, when's the last time you showed some concern for somebody other than your own family? And again, I'm not trying to say that you don't. I'm just saying, when is it? I mean, answer the question in your own heart and mind. I mean, we're all guilty at times of getting a little selfish and self-centered. It's easy to close our world in and put the walls around us and walk into our own home and say, man, I'm safe within the walls of this castle. But the fact is we don't live our lives there totally. We can't. We've got other people that are in our extended family. Our brethren, first of all, we look at the believers today in this room even, and we have an obligation and responsibility to be concerned about them. So be, by being concerned, that's how you demonstrate love. Husband, are you concerned about your wife, her needs, her hurts, her heartaches? Ma'am, are you concerned about his needs, his hurts, his heartaches? We say we love our children, but are we concerned about them? You say, oh, I'm certainly concerned. Are you concerned about the things that matter most? As we talked about the other day in one of our services, I mean, honestly, what's your greatest desire for your young person? Is it to be successful in the world's eyes, or is it to be spiritual? And we say to ourselves things like, I'm so concerned for my kids. Really? We better be concerned about the right things too. But we need to be concerned and we need to exhibit concern. That's part of loving. Not only that, but we need to, we, we, we demonstrate love practically by being compassionate. Look in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. What a powerful passage this is in Galatians. And again, I I only choose this passage because I think it shows how compassion must be exhibited even in a situation and circumstance that is not very nice. It's not one of those comfortable things here. I mean, it's not hard if you have a good relationship with your wife to be compassionate toward her. And I'm not talking about passionate, I mean compassionate. Being, you know, I mean, we already talked about caring, but, but being compassionate. 
understanding of her hurts and needs and things like that. I mean, to really have a, a, a compassion for her. You see her looking stressed and overwhelmed and your heart goes out to her. Same with him, I hope, ladies. Right? Good for him. Now he knows how I feel. <laughs> you know, one of them deals, right? Being compassionate. Look at Galatians 6, as we said, 1 through 2. He goes on to say, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Notice, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, that goes right along with being concerned, doesn't it? and compassionate together. There's a person here that is in deep trouble. There's someone here who has gone off the deep end, somebody that has made their way away from Christ, has wandered far away from God. He needs or she needs to come home now. And you know, if we're not careful, we have no compassion toward people like that. We look at them and say, they're getting what they deserve. That'll teach them. I tried to tell them they need to wise up. Well, aren't you that spiritual giant? Do you know what the spiritual giant does? After they've done all they can to save that marriage, after they've done all they can to help that person, after they've done all they can to reach out and meet that need, and they've been spurned and they've been pushed away and they've been rejected, they still say, man, if I can do anything to restore you, I'm there. Because I have compassion on you. I can't imagine what you're going... You you just don't know what you're going to go through. I don't know what you're going to go through. Maybe you do. You've been there maybe. And your heart breaks for them and it goes out to them. And instead of wanting to step on their throat and choke them out, you're going to try to give them a hand and raise them up. I'm not talking about aiding them in sin. And I'm not talking about trying to somehow, you know, make it easier for them to get along in the flesh and to deal the things they've been dealing. I'm talking about when there's a genuine brokenness and there's a heart, there's a willingness. And even if there's not, you're reaching out. You're trying to help and convince them and care for them and show compassion to them. I'll tell you what, Christians are good at shooting their wounded. We can't do that. The devil's more than happy to see that happen. I mean, this crowd today, those that are gathered here today, let me tell you what, it's not easy to get you where you are. You are here today because God did something miraculous in your life. And you mess up and you find your flesh ruling you. And the worst thing that we could do here as leaders and the worst thing we could do as a church family is go, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? Did you, can you, I guess we, bought, we ought to probably pray for him as it goes all through the Facebook chain and everybody finds out that he did this or he did that or she did this or she did that and we did it all in the name of Jesus, all in the name of God. No, we didn't. Shooting our wounded. I'm sure that you showed up over there with tears in your eyes and said, Brother, my heart breaks because I know the the, the road you're going to travel and I don't want to see you go down that road. We'll hide behind our little screens. We'll say things and do things that make them feel so uncomfortable they wouldn't come back if they had a chance. We wonder why God's hand of blessing isn't on the church today. 
Why don't we see souls saved more? Why don't we see lives changed? Maybe because we can't even treat the ones that are here right. And again, I'm not scolding you in that sense. I'm trying to warn us. This is preventative maintenance. So I tell you, many times when I stand and share something from the pulpit, I'm not sharing it because there's a problem. I'm sharing it because we want to avoid a problem. And that's what the Word of God does for us. It instructs us so that we can avoid problems down the road. This fella, the spiritual ones are going to seek to to restore in a spirit of meekness. Because they realize it could be them if it weren't for the grace of God. Being concerned by being compassionate. How do we practically demonstrate love? And it kind of goes along with those first two again, but by being considerate and kind. I want you to turn to Ephesians 4.32. This one's a real... I I don't know if it's a pet peeve. I don't know if I would call it that, but this one bothers me a lot. I I don't get this sometimes. Notice what it says here. It says in Ephesians 4.32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now here's here's my, my big one. Be ye kind. Be ye kind to one another. Someone says, well, I don't like that person. Who cares? Be kind to them. You don't have to like someone to be kind. I don't even have to know anybody to be kind to them. I go to a restaurant and a a waitress or a waiter comes to my table and and, and begins to take my order. I don't go, hey you, you're a jerk. I don't like how you look. I don't like what you're doing here. That doesn't even make any sense, does it? No. I go, well, hello there. How are you today? Certainly appreciate you taking our order today. They get paid to do that. I know, but I'm being kind. It doesn't hurt to be kind. And you know what? You, 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 you say, I love people, but we're not kind to them. Husbands, I love my wife, but you're not kind to her. What's your problem? A wife says, I love my husband, but she's not kind to him. What is going on? What is it? Children. Well, I love my parents, but you're not kind to them. How do we miss this one? I don't get this. It's not tough. It's not hard. It's just showing some consideration. It's showing some kindness. Boy, I'll tell you what, you would avoid a lot of problems in your life if you'd just be kind to people. And so would I. Galatians 5, 14 through 16 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So what are we to assume? We're to assume then that if we are walking in the flesh, we will be biting and devouring one another then. Because that's the prescription here. We see what's taking place. 
You're to love your neighbors yourself. We know that. It's, we've been taught that. We've been told that earlier, even in the Gospels. But now he says, but if ye bite, if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. It's going to come back to bite you, he says. And he says, this I say, walk in the Spirit. Ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So if you're walking in the flesh, guess what you have a good chance of doing right now, what you probably are prone to doing. Biting and devouring. Let me ask you, is there anybody in the house of God that you're biting and devouring? Because if you are, it's because you have a flesh problem, a spirit problem. That's what the Bible teaches. You're not loving the way you should. You're not being concerned. You're not being compassionate. You're not being considerate and kind the way you ought to be because you are in the flesh. And that's true in our marriages. That's true with our children. It's true with our relatives. It's true with people we walk and run into every day of our life. It's amazing how we justify our critical, cynical, horrible attitudes. Let's just be kind to people. You'll be amazed. They say you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Isn't that what they say? Now, I don't like catching flies. I I really don't want nothing to do with them. But the fact is, when it comes to people, you know, Dale Carnegie said, I think it's Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. I tell you, let me give you a one-word lesson. Well, three-word lesson. Be ye kind. You kind to people, there'll be people that like being around you. Because the world is an unkind place. And boy, as believers, we should be the least or last to be unkind. Finally, how do we, you know, how do we uh, demonstrate this love practically? Well, by being consistent and committed. By being consistent and committed. A Nashville newspaper, they carried a kind of a tongue-in-cheek story about a woman by the name of Mrs. Lily Craig, who hasn't missed attending church in 1,040 Sundays, although she's in her 80s. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's a long time. The editor commented, it makes one wonder, what's the matter with Mrs. Craig? I mean, doesn't it ever rain or snow in her town on Sunday? I mean, doesn't she ever have unexpected company? How is it that she never goes anywhere on Saturday night so that she's too tired to attend the worship service the next morning? Doesn't she ever beg off to attend the picnics or family reunions or have headaches, colds, nervous spells or tired feelings? Doesn't she ever oversleep or need time to read her Sunday newspaper? Hasn't she ever become angry at the minister or had her feelings hurt by someone and felt justified in staying home to hear a good sermon on the radio or TV? What's the matter with Mrs. Craig anyway? (laughs) Isn't that something? But I'm going to tell you something. When we love the way the Lord loved, then we're going to be very consistent and committed to those things we love. Whether they're people or whether it's the house of God. 
Boy, you want to demonstrate love, there's no better way to do it than not just in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Boy, we need to love in deed and truth. And listen, every one of us in the room, we're all in the same boat. This old flesh makes it real hard to love the way we're to love. We've got to die to this old flesh. We've got to allow Christ to have reign and preeminence in our life. We have to let the Holy Spirit have rulership in our hearts. Given the throne. We're not perfect at this. We're all works in progress. The danger is when we stop trying. And I know that may set the bar pretty low, but I'll be honest with you. What I found in life is that when I stop trying to do something, I'll never get it done. That's when I'm in real trouble. That's when I've come to the place where I have no hope. And you have no hope, you're going to go nowhere. But I want to encourage you, I don't care how rough it is for you to love the way you ought to love, keep working at it. Pray and beg God to give you the love that he has. Let his love flow through you. It's not our love anyway. It's his that they need to see and experience because I have nothing good to give, nor do you. All we have is him. So let his love flow through you. In everything you say and do, let the love of Christ be seen. It's time we get back to loving. I'm back to God. I'm glad you want to get back to God. But boy, we need to get back to loving too. And so let's work at it. Let's love the way he loves and love those he loves. And boy, I'll tell you what, it'll make a difference in our church. It'll make a difference in your home, your workplace, and in the world we live. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Father, just for the privilege we have to gather together in your house. And Lord, just to give consideration to your word. And Lord, loving is such an important part of the Christian life. I mean, we, if we're not careful, Lord, we may even believe we understand it more than we do because the world has taught us what love is. But your word outlines it for us, and your word is truth. May we not lean on what we've heard or our own understanding. But Lord, may we lean on you and your word. Now, Father, bless us tonight. And Lord, if there be any here tonight that have yet to receive Christ as Savior. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't leave here until they settle that issue. That they'd simply make their way forward when the music plays and meet one of the men at the front and just allow themselves to be shown from the Word of God how they too can be saved. For us as believers tonight, that we examine our own hearts and our own lives. Lord, although we sometimes have to exhibit some tough love, the truth is we still need to love according to your Word. Well, God, help us to be faithful, to demonstrate it, to live it. And Lord, we'll thank you as you give us the very grace and the power to do it. Because we can't do it ourselves. We need you. Fill us with your spirit. Enable us to love like you love. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.